Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. And years ago, I heard about the Voice of the Martyrs. It's an organization that supports persecuted Christians around the globe. And uh, they have um, designated today, the first Sunday of November, as the International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Christians. It's kind of neat how God works, because I've been going through 1 Peter, and today that's exactly what we're going to talk about. So it just hit perfectly. The Voice of the Martyrs is a nonprofit interdenominational missions organization that serves persecuted Christians around the world. It was founded in 1967 by Richard and Sabina Wormbrand. And if you don't know his story, it's worth a look. He was persecuted for his faith. He was uh, tortured for a long time. Uh, he finally got free and he started this organization. Uh, what is persecution? Um, their definition I like, it's a more of a theological definition perhaps, but it says it's any hostility experienced as a result of one's identification with Christ. In other words, someone is hostile to you for no other reason than the fact that you believe Jesus. That's it. Um, this can include hostile attitudes, words, or even actions towards Christians. Today, I want to talk to you about how to respond when we share in the sufferings of Christ. Um, before we turn to our passage in 1 Peter, let me kind of back up for a moment. I want to give you another 1 Peter passage that we've already read. It's 1 Peter 2, 20 and 21. I want us to kind of back up for a moment and look at the forest. I want you to see what the counsel of God's Word, the Scriptures as a whole, say about this before we dive in. In 1 Peter 2, 20, it says, For what credit is there if when you do wrong and are beaten, you endure it? In other words, if you know, you do the crime, you do the time, right? So you, go, you get what you deserve. But when you do what is good and suffer, if you endure it, this brings favor with God. God smiles on you when you're doing the right thing and you get punished for it and you endure it anyway. That's favor with God. For you were called to this, says Peter, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. Jesus carried His cross. Well, He had to have someone to help Him because He was so beaten there leading up to the crucifixion. But the point is this, Christ suffered and you and I are called to follow His example. That's not exactly what we want to hear, is it? That's Peter. Philippians 1 Paul the Apostle would say this to a church where when, when, when Paul went on a mission trip and he ended up in Philippi, because he was preaching the gospel and people didn't like it, they put him in jail. While he's in jail, he and Silas at midnight are singing hymns praising God when an earthquake comes and the jail cells are open. And uh, in a moment of desperation, the jailer is about to take his life because he's responsible for those prisoners. If they escape, they could have his, his life. And so in a moment of desperation, the jailer is about to take, take his life when Paul says, don't harm yourself, we're all here. And the jailer trembles and goes to Paul and says, sir, what must I do to be saved? 
and Paul led the jailer to Christ. Then time passes, and Paul has this church in Philippi on his mind and his heart, and he writes a letter to them, and guess what? He's in jail somewhere else. Not because he did anything wrong, but because of Christ. And here in Philippians 1 verse 27, with that backdrop, here's what Paul says to the church in Philippi. Philippians 1.27, Just one thing, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of destruction for them, but of your salvation, and this is from God, for it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him, since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had, and now hear that I have. So Paul is saying, look, it's been appointed, it's been granted for you not only to believe in Christ, but to suffer for Him. That really puts the rubber where the rubber meets the road. Paul, talking to young Timothy, a young man in the ministry, said in 2 Timothy 3, verse 10, he says, Timothy, you have followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance. Check, 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 check along with the persecutions and sufferings that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. And then he says this, Timothy, in fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus might be persecuted. No, nope, I read it wrong, didn't I? Just wanted to see if you just paying attention. All who live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Write it down, mark it down, you can bank on it. Why? Why does it have to be that way? Because you and I are in the, in the midst of a larger battle between good and evil. And you and I live in a fallen world. And even when we aim to do right, and we have the intentions to do good for the Lord, there's going to be somebody somewhere that don't like it just because. Get used to it. That's the way it is. All who want to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. I'll never forget, I had a roommate my second year at Union University. And um, he and I were cousins, and he was in a gospel group, the Crusaders. And they would go and they would sing in churches on the weekend. And um, one of his um, guys that was in the group with him, I got to know, and I remember he, had, he was a student at Union too. We were walking down the hall together one day, and he just kind of looked, well, burdened. And I said, brother, what's wrong? He says, I've just been praying. I said, are you okay? He goes, yeah. I said, well, you just kind of look burdened. What's wrong? And he says, you really want to know? And I said, sure. And I wasn't prepared for what he told me. He says, I've been reading Scripture a lot. He says, I hear stories about what's going on in overseas. And he says, I'm praying that God will get me ready to be persecuted. And I went, wow, that's heavy. That's heavy. That's what was on his mind. That's what he was praying about. Well, when you read what Peter said, what Paul said, and now we're going to look at what Jesus said in John 15, verse 18. These are the words of Jesus. He's talking to His disciples. 
And he says in John 15, 18, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But they will do all these things to you on account of my name because they don't know the one who sent me. Jesus said, look, they hated me without a cause and because they hate me, they will hate you. Let that sink in for a minute. That kind of goes against the Andrew Carnegie how to win friends and influence people, doesn't it? What that really means is sometimes you can do everything right, you can strive to love God and love people, and you can't make everybody happy. It just doesn't happen. In this world, you can't get away with righteousness. The devil's like, okay, you're going to live a godly life, well, watch this. And he tries every trick in the brook. Hebrews reminds us, Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, the, the faith chapter where it talks about all these great people that live by faith. Uh, there's some great stories in there, but toward the end of Hebrews 11, we're reminded of the rest of the story. In Hebrews 11:32. The author, he's gone through a, you know, all the ones we know about, Abraham and Sarah and Moses and all those, and he says, what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, yeah, administered justice, yeah, obtained promises, yes, shut the mouths of lion, that's Daniel, by the way, yeah, quenched the raging of fire, yeah, Escape the edge of the sword. Yes. Great gained strength and weakness. Yes. Became mighty in battle. Yes. And put foreign armies to flight. Yes. I want some of that faith, don't you? That is awesome. But keep reading. Then it says women received their dead, raised to life again. Awesome. Other people were tortured, not accepting release, so they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins, goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. Not all of them had a great ending, is what I'm trying to say. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. I was reading Matthew earlier this week, and I was reminded of John the Baptist. Here's this crazy-eyed guy with, you know, uh, not the best wardrobe, and he's got a strong message, and everybody is coming out of the woodwork to hear him. He eats locust and honey, and uh, he points people to God, and he does what God called him to do. And in the end, you know what happened to John the Baptist? His head cut off on a platter. It's a reminder to you and I that we at some point might be persecuted. You know, even in America, you know, I can remember when it was, quote, cool to be a Christian. 
And now they replace that word Christian with bigots and a whole bunch of other things, you know. So today let's look at God's word. Specifically, let's look at 1 Peter 4, beginning in verse 12, on how do we respond uh, when we share in the sufferings of Christ. We'll look, if you will, in 1 Peter 4, 12. It says, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening to you. The first thing I want to say how to respond when we share in the sufferings of Christ is, number one, don't be surprised. And who better to tell you and me this than Peter? Remember Peter? When um, Jesus spent his last moments with them, he began to tell them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men, and then on the third day he'll rise again. And I don't know how much they understood, but Peter understood enough to, to interrupt Jesus at one point and say, Oh no, oh no, that's not going to happen. And what did Jesus say to him? Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God. And then he went on to warn Peter that you're going to deny me three times. You know, Peter, I think, was surprised at how it all went down when Jesus was betrayed with a kiss by Judas. He was handed over to the religious leaders, and ultimately he was crucified as a Roman criminal on the cross. I don't think he grasped that at the time before it happened. I don't think he wanted that to happen. I think that he tried to make things work, but when the pressure cooker came and people said, hey, you were with him, weren't you? You were with him. Aren't you a Galilean? Aren't you with him? I don't know the man, he said. You know, Peter was surprised, and yet this same Peter on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, he was full of the Holy Spirit and boldness, and he looked the people in the eye and said, This Jesus, whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. And they were cut to the heart. The first thing you and I need to do when we look at how do we respond to suffering for Jesus' sake is don't be surprised. God's word plainly says in all the scriptures I've just read, whether it's Peter, Paul, Jesus, Expect to rock the boat when you're living for God in this world. Not everybody likes that. And I'm here to tell you that's okay. You're not trying to please them. You're trying to please God. At the end of the day, I'm not afraid of somebody that can take my life. I'm afraid of the one who has, has the power to cast my soul into hell. Isn't that what Jesus said? Don't be afraid of someone who has the power to kill the body. Be afraid of someone that has the, the power to take your soul and cast it into hell. My fear for God is greater than my fear of man. And so you and I need to say, don't be surprised. I love an old song. When I became a Christian, a friend gave me uh, some CDs. And the guy's name was Steve Camp. Uh, wow, a great, a great Christian artist. Uh, I don't think he does a lot today, but he had some really uh, in-depth lyrics. And here is one of the songs that he sang. It's from, uh, it, it, the name of the song is called Fire and Ice. And here's what the lyrics say. It says, I was messing around with the things of the old life. I didn't think it would hurt. Just a little seemed all right. But the wages of sin... It's like a cancer within. It crippled my faith until I was hard against him. Now I know that fire and ice, darkness and light can never live together. It's day or it's night. It's wrong or it's right. 
It's one way or the other in my life. Television will tell you that doing it feels good to you, but I found out the hard way that what they're saying isn't true. The fact still remains. Truth doesn't change. The Word of God is alive to show us the way, and it says fire and ice, darkness and light, can never live together. It's day or it's night. It's wrong or it's right. It's one way or the other. It's fire and ice. And I'm like, that's so true. When you look at the bigger picture between good and evil, that is so true. John Stott said it this way. He said, persecution is simply the clash between two irreconcilable value systems. I would say that's the easiest way to say it. How do we respond when we share in the sufferings of Christ? Number one, don't be surprised. Number two, you're going to be surprised at this one. Rejoice in the suffering. Now, I will be the first to say, I don't like it when I suffer. I don't like to feel pain, you know. I don't like it at all. So how in the world could the the Bible say rejoice in the suffering? Well, let's see what Peter's saying here. In 1 Peter 4.13, he says, Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when His glory is revealed. Now, Peter's saying, look, not only are we going to rejoice later, but we can rejoice right now because of later. And so we can look past the sufferings and we can rejoice because we know how this all ends. One commentator said this, one of the greatest paradoxes in Christian history is that the church is most pure in times of cultural hostility. When things are easy and good, that's when the church most often goes astray. When Christianity seems identical with the culture and even when the church seems to be enjoying its greatest earthly success, that's when it's weakest. Conversely, when the church encounters hardship, persecution, and suffering, that's when it's closest to the Lord. And then there are fewer hypocrites and nominal believers, and then the faith of Christians burns most intensely. Acts 5. I'm reminded of Acts 5 in the early church. It says that the religious leaders of that day, they called in the apostles, called them all in. They had them flogged. And they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then they released them. And what happened then? It says in verse 41, Then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. Wow. The apostles of the New Testament church, when they got treated like Jesus did, they started saying, praise God, we're in good company. Instead of saying, what are we doing wrong? They said, wow, we must be doing something right. And you and I need to realize that's what the New Testament teaches. I know it goes against the grain of the culture today. We become wimps today. We we don't want to be called a bigot. We don't want to be called this, that, and the other. You know what? We can speak the truth in love without being offensive because the truth already is offensive. See, the truth is something that the world doesn't want to hear. That doesn't mean we have to be offensive. We can smile. We can love them. We can have our, our, our speech season with grace. And yet we can say lovingly as we know how. Here's what God's Word says. And let the wheat and the chaff separate. Just like that. You and I 
need to be reminded that Jesus said, blessed are those, in Matthew 5.10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Now, please understand, a lot of times people want to become, you know, a victim. You know, oh, they hurt me, oh, I'm offended or whatever. But the bottom line is this. Here, Jesus is saying, blessed are you when you are persecuted because of me. In other words, if you did everything I told you to do, if you said everything I told you to say, and they come after you, then you are blessed because you're being mistreated because of me. And when you are being mistreated because of me, because of righteousness, you're blessed. The kingdom of heaven is yours. He says, be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now Jesus is going all the way back to the Old Testament prophets. And what he's trying to say in between the lines is, you're in good company. You're not alone. And by the way, this is nothing new under the sun. I mean, when you live a life for God, you will go against the grain of the world. You'll go against the flow. You will stand out instead of blending in. They won't know what to do with you. And so you just simply let your light shine. And you rejoice when they insult you, when they persecute you, when they make false accusations against you. You're in good company. Be glad, rejoice, and by the way, your reward is great. It's kind of ironic there, isn't it? Because you and I would say, hey, does anybody want to have a great reward in heaven? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to have a great reward in heaven. Okay, well, take it on the chin, brother. When someone, when someone accuses you of being a Christian and because of your, your views of God's Word, they do this, 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 and this, just take it on the chin, smile, and just demonstrate the, the love of Christ because that's how you get your great reward. We wouldn't think of saying that. But he's saying be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven because that's how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. How do we respond when we share in these sufferings of Christ? Well, Peter would say don't be surprised. Rejoice in the suffering. And number three, remember that He is with you. That's the one that means the most to me. You know, a lot of times people are afraid to take a stand because they're afraid they'll be all alone. They'll be the only one. You know, Nancy remembers this. Years ago at the uh, church where her and I met, there was a young man that got saved and he was a member of the football team. And I'm just telling you simply what he did, okay? He was a member of the football team, and God had radically saved him, and he wanted people to know it. And he had had enough of, you can't do this, you can't do that. You know what he did? I'm just telling you what he did. He, he waited till uh, middle of the week, lunchroom cafeteria. He cleared a table, stood up on it, and said, Hey, I want to tell you all something. Jesus Christ has saved me and changed my life. And he began to boldly preach right there in the high school cafeteria. You know, I'm getting to the point, as much as going on in the world today, we need to be bold. We need to be bold. I'm not saying be a jerk. I'm not saying be obnoxious. But I'm saying be bold and strong and courageous. Stand up, speak up, and share your faith in Christ. Let people hear the truth and love them anyway and see what God does. 
here in 1 Peter 4.14, Peter says, if you're ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed. He didn't say you're stressed. That's what we would think. Oh man, I don't know what I'm going to do. He says, if you're ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. You know, when I read that phrase, the Spirit of of, of glory and of God rests on you. You know what that reminds me of? Remember the baptism of Jesus? And, and, And the Bible says that when Jesus came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove, and a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That's what I think of. And so I can't help but go, you know, when you and I are ridiculed for the name of Christ, we're blessed and God's presence is with us in a very special, practical way. You know, I, I want to give you a couple examples of this. And I want to give you not only a couple examples, but one would have the outcome we would like and one would not. But it happens both ways. What do I mean? When I look at Scripture, I can point to people who took a stand for God, and boy, everything worked out, and they lived to tell about it. But then I also can think of people who took a stand for God, and they died for it. I want to tell you both sides, because I'm not here to say it's going to go this way or that way. I don't know, but I do know this. You'll never, you'll never, you'll never regret taking a stand for Jesus. I'm reminded of the Old Testament examples, Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were thrown into a fiery furnace at the order of King Nebuchadnezzar. Why? Because he ordered them to bow down to an idol that he had made. And they refused to obey the king's command and worship an idol instead of the living God. He got so mad at them that he told his people that had a fiery furnace, he said, not only am I going to throw you in that fiery furnace, but I want y'all to fire that thing up seven times hotter than it normally is, and throw them in it. If you're familiar with Bible school, if you've heard the story in the Bible, you know what happened. They grabbed Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they threw them into this fire. And when they did, the king is looking, and he says, I see a fourth man in the fire, one like the son of the God. And he ordered them to come out because they were thrown into a fiery furnace and they didn't die. Matter of fact, when they came out, you can read about this in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. When they came out, not even their clothes, not even their hair was singed. They said, King, we are not going to bow down to your statue. Our God is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, We're not going to bow. And that was their stand. That was their choice. And they were thrown into the fire and God delivered them in a mighty way. That fourth man in the fire, I believe that was the Lord. The pre-incarnate Christ. That's what I believe. In the New Testament, we have another story about Stephen, the first Christian martyr. You know where this is going. I had someone tell me one time that they didn't want the spill... They didn't want the spiritual gift of martyrdom because you only get to use it once. You'll get that in just a minute. But Stephen was one of the seven, 
one of the original, I believe, deacons in the church. And he was the first Christian martyr who died for his faith in Christ. He told them the truth. And as he began to say everything he wanted to say, they got so angry that they covered their ears, they gnashed their teeth, and they rushed at him, and they threw rocks at him and stoned him. That's how they killed him, by stoning. They took rocks and hit him until he died. And the Bible says that as he was dying, he, he looked up and he says, uh, he saw the heavens open, and he saw the Son of Man, watch this, standing at the right hand of God. Now, if you know your Bibles and you know your theology, you'll know that when Jesus died on that cross and said it was finished, when Jesus rose from the dead, appeared about 40 days, and then ascended to heaven, he was going to the Father, and he sat down at the right hand of the Father, signifying that Jesus has done everything that needs to be done for you and I to be saved. But when Stephen died for his faith in Christ, Jesus stood up, gave him a standing ovation. Come on, Stephen, I'm waiting for you. He stood up for Stephen. I want to tell you, we're living in the kind of world now that people won't like you just because you named the name of Jesus Christ. They won't like you. No other reason, just that. They'll judge you just on that alone. They'll make all these assumptions about you. They may even make accusations toward you just because you name the name of Jesus Christ. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. You might have a story someday like Daniel's friends where you take this huge stand for God and then they try to do something to you and God intervenes and you live to tell about it. Praise God. Okay? Praise God. But you might also as well end up like Stephen. You say everything that God wants you to say. You do everything that God wants you to do. And they come and they just take you out. Even if they do, I want you to know there's a God in heaven who stands up and gives you a standing O. Because he says, blessed are you if you're persecuted for my name's sake. Great is your reward in heaven. How do we respond when we share in the sufferings of Christ? We've talked about don't be surprised. Rejoice in the suffering. Remember that he is with you. And the last one is this. Don't be ashamed of his name. Don't be ashamed of the name of Jesus. 1 Peter 4.15 Peter says, Let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. Okay? I won't meddle this morning and talk about meddling. But here's what he's saying. As a follower of Christ, we shouldn't suffer for doing something wrong. Okay? Because we, we, we know the Lord and we've been changed by His grace and now we're living for Jesus. So don't suffer as a murderer, a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. But in verse 16, if anyone suffers as a Christian, in other words, you didn't do anything wrong, you did everything right, and boy, look at the pushback. Look at the grief that you're getting. Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. In other words, don't be ashamed of the name of Jesus. 
Romans 1.16, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jew and also to the Greek. Don't be ashamed of the name. You know, when I was growing up as a kid, I used to worry about what other people think. You might call me cynical now, but now I can almost tell you Don't worry about what other people think. They don't think much of you anyway. They think more of themselves than they do of you. So don't worry about what other people think. What you need to do is worry about what God thinks. That's the one you need to live for. You need to live your life for an audience of one. One of the greatest lessons I learned as a young pastor, instead of of, um, um, loving God and pleasing people, I learned to please God and love people. There's a difference. There is a difference, and we have to learn that. Here's the reality, and I want to wrap up with this. Here's the reality of what it takes when it comes to living for Christ in a hostile world. Jesus said something when he taught the disciples that I want to spotlight for just a moment that I hope will help explain why there's such a rub when it comes to persecution today. Jesus told a story about a farmer sowing seed. And he said the seed is the word of God and the soul is like a heart of a person. And some receive the word of God and some don't. He described four different places that the farmer sowed the seed and four different outcomes. And I don't want to get into all that. I just want to focus on one of them. But here's what he said about the seed that was sown on rocky ground. Here's what he said in Matthew 13, 20. And the one sown on rocky ground This is one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. And you're like, all right. You know, I shared the gospel with somebody. They made a profession of faith. And man, they're on fire for God. Praise God. They immediately received it with joy. This is awesome. But look at the next verse. But he has no root. Remember that rocky ground? The rock rock is keeping the seed from penetrating the soil. And so he has no root. And it's short-lived. Listen what happens. When distress or persecution. Did you see that? When distress or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he falls away. Wow. I guess you could say persecution is one way to prove that your faith is real. Anybody can... Talk like a Christian, act like a Christian, come to church, kind of go through the motions. Yeah, I'm a Christian. But when we have to bear the name of Christ, when we have to bear the cross, that's when it gets real, doesn't it? Here's a quote for you. Francis Chan, you may know him. He's written some books. He's been a pastor on the West Coast. And uh, I saw this was an interview he had with the Christian Post in August of 2018. This stood out to me when I saw it, and I want to share it with you. Francis Chan was talking to some Christians that were in China. Of course, they're persecuted in China. I've had some friends of mine when I lived in Tennessee that went on a mission trip to China, and they had to go undercover. They went from town to town doing good things, but before they left, they left gospel tracts and they immediately got out of town because it's illegal. 
and they wanted to be able to do what they had to do and get back home. Francis Chan said this in an interview, and this interview is in the context of a conversation he had with some Christians that were Chinese uh, living in China. He says, as they shared stories of persecution, I sat in amazement and I asked for more stories. After a while, they asked why I was so intrigued. I told them that the church in America was nothing like this. I can't tell you how embarrassing it was to try to explain to them that people attend 90-minute services once a week in buildings, and that's what we call church. I told them about how people switch churches if they find better teaching or better music or more robust programs for their kids. He said, as I described church life in America, they began to laugh, and not just chuckles. He said, they were laughing hysterically. He said, I felt like a stand-up comedian, but I was literally just describing the American church as I've experienced it. They found it laughable that we could read the same scriptures they were reading and create something so incongruent. And I can't help but go, wow. You know, we don't know what it's like to, to um, live in a place where if they know you're a Christian, they've got you on a list. And if you start sharing your faith, they're coming after you. They might remove you from your home. They might do this, that, and the other. We Honestly, we don't know what that's like. And that's why Peter closes the, the passage that we've been looking at today in verse 17 and following. In 1 Peter 4, 17, he says, For the time has come for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who disobey the gospel of God? And if a righteous person is saved with difficulty, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. I think somebody said it this way once, and this is the way I'll break it down. Just think for a minute, if you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, right now your life is as bad as it'll ever be. Why do I say that? Because when you die and go to be with Christ or Jesus comes back, whichever happens first, once we're with him in glory forever and ever and ever, we can't top that. And so that's why I say as a Christian, Right now, what you and I are going through is as bad as it'll ever be. Now flip that. Think about someone you know that doesn't know the Lord. They're not a Christian. They're not a follower of Jesus. This is as good as it's ever going to get. And it's all downhill from there. Because one day, they're going to stand before God on the day of judgment. And they're going to be sentenced to hell because they refused to come to the only one who died for them that could have kept them from it. And it's going to be a life of torment and separation from God that never, ever ends. Truly, right now is as good as it's ever going to get for them. No wonder you and I need to put things in context. No wonder you and I need to see things as they really are and realize it's time for judgment to begin with God's house. And if it begins with us, what's going to happen to the sinner? 
What's going to happen to those who don't know the Lord? Well, I think you know what's going to happen to them. So what do we do? Because we know how it all is going to end, because we have a hope unshakable and full of glory, you and I, we can suffer according to God's will. If that's what we have to do, we'll do it. And we'll entrust ourselves to a faithful God and creator and do what he wants us to do. Because it's only going to get better from here. It's only going to get better. I want to encourage you today. I want to read one more passage of scripture and I'll close. Paul was writing to the church in Corinth. And he wanted to get his point across. And he said, if I am, if he's speaking about his ministry team. He says, if we're out of our mind, it's for God. Okay? <laughs> I'll tell you right now, if you see some of us acting crazy for Jesus, uh, is it because we're crazy or is it crazy we're about Jesus? I'll let you interpret that, okay? But here's the thing. If we're out of our mind, it's for God. But if we're in our right mind, it's for you. And he says, the love of Christ compels us. Since we've reached this conclusion, if one died for all, then all died. And he died, meaning Jesus, for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised again. You know, I lived life on my own for a long time, and then I came to Christ, and now I live my life for him. He sought me. He bought me with his own blood, and now I'm his. I wear his name, and I want to please him. I want to stand before him someday, and I want to hear him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. And I pray that you do too. So here's what I want to say to you today. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, we talk about, I want to get to heaven someday. I want to get to heaven someday. Well, if you can trust him for your soul and your eternity, what about right now? What about this problem that you're going to deal with on Monday morning? What about this issue that you got at work or school or whatever? I mean, if we can trust God for the big thing, we ought to be able to trust him for the daily living things, right? What I want to say to you today is this. Have you ever come to know Jesus Christ? You know, God so loved the world that he sent his son's Jesus. He died on that cross for you and for me. And now, when we come to him, we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for the one who died and rose again. You can be faithful to God. He's given you the presence of his spirit. He's given you the promise of the scriptures. If you'll say, yes, Lord. You saw that video before I came up here this morning, and you heard in their own words, what these persecuted Christians in other places are saying. Pray that God gives us strength to stand. You hear that? They're not saying, oh, the trial, take it away. Oh, the persecution, don't like it, take it away. No, they're saying, Lord, give me the grace and the strength to stand. Give me the grace to endure. Give me the, the, the strength to be faithful to your name. And my prayer today is that you and I will do likewise. If you'll stand, musicians, if you will come, we're going to have a time of invitation. And it's my prayer for you today that you will count the cost. Jesus told people to count the cost. Okay, 
Count the cost before you build a tower. Count the cost. The king will count the cost before he goes to war. You and I need to count the cost before we become a follower of Jesus. But please don't let that stop you. He gave it all. He gave it all for you and me. And when you realize he died for you, when you give your life to him, you say, Lord, I want to live for you. I want to have a prayer right now, and it's my prayer right now. If you've never took that first step to trust and follow Jesus, that you will. I want to model a prayer for you so you can know how to talk to God. But when you come to God and realize that he's God and you're not, that you're a sinner and you need to be saved. I love the story that Jesus told about the two men that went to church. I'm contemporizing the story. And he said one, you know, say, God, I'm glad I'm not like that other guy. And he talked about all the good things he did. And his prayer didn't even hit the ceiling. It bounced off. The other guy said, oh, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And God heard his prayer. And he went home justified. He went home saved. Today, maybe you, need, maybe you just need to cry out to God and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, I believe that you love me. I believe that you sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross. I believe he died for me. I believe he rose again. I believe his death, burial, and resurrection proves that he is the Son of God. And so, Lord, I I just come before you. I ask you to forgive me and save me. And, Lord, take my life. I want to live for you. I want to live for the one who died for me and rose again. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer today, I pray that you'll let us know. We want to encourage you. We want to uh, encourage you in your walk with Christ. And then follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Whatever God's calling you to do today, won't you do it? Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.